Once you've found that, please stand for the reading of God's Word. We're going to read from verse 11 down through verse number 13 this evening. Deuteronomy chapter 31 and verse number 11. The Bible says there, When all Israel is come to appear before the Lord thy God in the place which he shall choose, thou shalt read this law before all Israel in their hearing. Gather the people together, men and women and children, and thy stranger that is within thy gates that they may hear and that they may learn and fear the Lord your God and observe to do all the words of this law and that their children which have not known anything may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as ye live in the land whither ye go over Jordan to possess it. Tonight I'd like to speak uh, and give a simple message simply entitled this, Potential Pitfalls in Parenting. Let's pray. Lord, we do ask that uh, tonight... Uh, that the Word of God would make sense. Lord, as we look at some common sense things with parenting, I pray our hearts would be open and tender. And Lord, uh, as parents, may we be quick to make adjustments. Uh, Lord, uh, for the, t- the children and teenagers here, I pray, Lord, that they would uh, get some clarity in mind of what it is exactly that you want from them. And I pray that when we leave here tonight, our family units would be strengthened because of the opening and the breaking of the bread of, of, of your Word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. The passage here, Deuteronomy 31, brings us back in time to the last gathering that Moses would have with the children of Israel. He had gone into Egypt. He had convinced Pharaoh to, uh, through much persuasion, much arm twisting, uh, God sending the plagues, but nevertheless had been convinced to let the people go. And they had, they had left. The Red Sea had been parted. They had crossed. Moses had dealt with this faithless group. Uh, There had been uh, a a rebellion of sorts many times that God had to squelch out uh, throughout Moses' reign. Many times Moses had to step to the side and just let God uh, take care of making sure that Moses was the established leader. Uh, Throughout the different rebellions and uprisings, he led them to Kadesh Barnea, attempted to take them across... Uh, but because of, again, a faithless heart, they saw themselves as grasshoppers in the sight of those who were there. And so what happened was God turned them away and said, you're not going to enter. This generation is not going to enter. So they wandered. They wandered in the wilderness there for 40 years. Uh, during that time, we know that Moses struck the rock the second time when he was just commanded to speak to it. And Moses was also prohibited from entering this promised land, this land that had been promised to their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So here you have, here you have them gathered one last time with Moses. That generation has passed off the scene. Uh, the next generation that would take the land and probably be Israel's uh, greatest spiritual generation were, were gathered there, and Moses was going to give them one last speech before he ascended up into the mountain uh, to, to be taken on into heaven. There, as a, uh, uh, as a man gathering those people, God gave Moses, in this passage, very clear talking points. They were to gather everybody around, including the strangers that were in the gate, the passerbys, if you will. And Moses was to talk to them about child-rearing, of all topics. You see, because if you, as adults, learn how to behave yourselves, but you, we don't train our children to, then we're only one generation away from chaos. However, as adults, if we can train our children 
how to live in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and also train them how to train their children to do the same, then this uh, great information of how to live for God can be passed from one generation to the next. So what was it that was Moses' message that came from God uh, that he was to give to these people? It was this. It was teach your children to fear God. Teach your children how to have a reverence or respect for God. A couple of weeks ago, in fact, the Installation Sunday, I preached a sermon entitled Transitions, Transitions. The, the subtitle of the sermon was, What Do You Fear? Or Who Do You Fear? We talked about fear. We talked about different fears that people have. Uh, but we said ultimately that when we learn to fear God, fearing other things or other people subside and go away. And I don't intend to re-preach that sermon, but for the sake of introduction, for the sake of what this passage has to say, what God was telling Moses to communicate to those people was this. Teach your children to have a deep reverence and respect and fear for God. Teach them that fearing God is the most important thing uh, that you can teach them. And so I, I got to say that as, I, as a child, I learned how to fear my father. But more importantly, I learned how to fear God because of my father. My, um, I can remember many times my father, when I was sent to my room and it was time to be punished, uh, he would make sure that the, the Bible was explained and that I had not just disobeyed mom and dad, but I had disobeyed God. My friends, we have to teach our children to do right, not just for right's sake, but we have to teach them to do right because there's a supreme being who's disappointed in them if they don't do right. If you can learn how to hold God and the Bible and the truths of the Bible as the standard in your home and make sure they understand that this is the standard, then you will have a much easier time maintaining order in your home. And when they leave your home, no longer are they going to do right because of some system that you gave them that they're walking away from, but rather they know that when, although they may be leaving mom and dad's home, they're never leaving the presence of God. And so God is the reason why they obey. God is the reason why they do right. Oftentimes, with my own children, when I have to punish them, I will sit down with them on the edge of the bed and I'll explain to them that, yes, maybe they were disrespectful in a tone to mom or dad, or maybe they disobeyed a teacher or their parents. Maybe they told a lie or whatever the occasion may be. And while they have disappointed me, while they have disappointed their mom, more importantly, they have let God down. They've let God down. My, my friends, let me just say this early on in the message by way of introduction is that you need to make sure they understand that God is the supreme authority in their lives. The supreme authority. When your children see that you as parents or grandparents are living your life in subjection to God, they will see that God is the authority in your life. And as God becomes the authority in your life, there will become a desire in their heart for God to be the authority in their life. Now, also, I'll say that uh, once the punishment has uh, been ad- administrated, and once uh, that is over, I have them pray, and I have them confess to God uh, their shortcoming. And I generally will say something to them along these lines. I'll say, God has told us that if we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive. God has forgiven you. If God has forgiven you, then Dad has forgiven you. And then we walk out of the room, and it's done. It's over. 
That's not this reminding him or her 20 minutes later. Don't you know what you did? This throwing it back in their face. No, it's been dealt with. It's been done. They have shown a heart of repentance. Also, by way of introduction, I'll say that if you uh, are not seeing a spirit of repentance or a spirit of I'm sorry out of your child, then the punishment isn't over. The punishment needs to continue until they have admitted fault and they have seen uh, and felt guilt and they have apologized to God for their actions. When you, when you swing a paddle out of anger, when you punish or yell or scream at them out of frustration, you're not, uh, you're not helping them, the situation, and you're not helping them to feel a heart of repentance. You're only helping them to feel your frustration. And so the punishment needs to be administrated in a calm, cool, collected tone where you show them how God handles us when we do wrong. To those of you here that are, are dads, your children will get their idea of who God is based on how you are. Now, that's a weighty comment, isn't it? But it's a true comment. Are you representing God well? Now, I'm not perfect. I'm definitely not a perfect father. And there's no one here that is. But boy, when you keep that in mind, sure does challenge us to do our role well, to do our job well. And when you step into that place to punish, you think about how God has handled you and you've been out of line. Ultimately, again, our job as parents is to teach our children not to fear us, but rather to fear God. And when we teach them to fear God, we teach them to fear authority. We on our way here uh, uh, this afternoon, uh, we, Angela was reading to me the news clip about the news coming out of Baton Rouge. How many of you have seen the news coming out of Baton Rouge? Just what, last week it was Dallas. This week it's Baton Rouge. Uh, you had the, the situation over in France uh, happen earlier this week. Uh, and it seems like every week now, really every few days, we have some crazy, bizarre happening across the way with the situation in Dallas and again in Baton Rouge where the police are being undermined and taken out. Uh, where is this coming from? This is coming from people who do not respect authority. Why don't they respect authority? Because authority somewhere along the way let them down. Ultimately, uh, the heart is rebellious. Okay, The heart bends toward rebellion against authority. And when as an authoritarian, as an authoritarian in the life of a child, uh, maybe you're a school teacher over many children. If you're going to work in vacation Bible school this week, you'll be over those children. When you let them down, you shatter their idea of what authority is. We need to teach them to fear God. And from there, God's line of authority. Again, verse 13 there of Deuteronomy 31 says, And that their children, which have not known anything, may hear. And learn to fear the Lord your God, as long as ye live in the land, whither ye go over Jordan to possess it. I believe that many parents today have every intention in turning out good, even godly children. However, as I have grown up in the ministry, as I have watched many of my peers, and now many youth as an, as an adult in the ministry, uh, I've watched them uh, become exactly what their parents did not want them to become. I propose that there are some pitfalls 
that we as parents need to be careful to avoid if we want our children to, to live a life that, fairly trues, uh, that, that, that truly fears God. Tonight, let's look at three common pitfalls that snare many parents. Point number one tonight, pitfall number one, would be ignorance. Ignorance. There's a funny story about a golfer named uh, uh, Tommy Bolt. Tommy Bolt had a caddy who had a reputation of constant chatter. How many of you here play golf? Can I see your hand? Okay, I had a few of you here that play golf. Uh, if, if there's anything that you know about golf is that when it's your turn to hit the ball, everyone needs to be quiet, right? Well, Mr. Bolt had a caddy that liked to talk, constant chatter. and So, uh, good, good caddy, but uh, other than that one area. And so, before the round began, Mr. Bolt turned to his caddy and he said, I don't want to hear a peep out of you the entire round. You give me the club I ask for. I will ask you yes or no questions. And you answer with a yes or no, and that is it. And so uh, he got off and he got up and he hit the ball off the tee and hit it into the woods and uh, kind of was uh, complaining about that on his way to finding the ball. As he located what he thought was his ball, he uh, saw that it was down under a tree. He was going to have to hit the ball under some tree branches over a lake, bend it around a curve in order to be able to land it on a green. And so he sized up the shot and he thought, I need a five iron. So he looked at his caddy and he said, Five iron? And the caddy said, no, Mr. Bolt. He said, what do you mean, no, Mr. Bolt? He said, I need a five iron. He said, no, Mr. Bolt. He said, give me the five iron. He took it out of the bag and he sized up the shot and he said, watch this. Sure enough, he hit the ball right underneath the tree branches, right over that lake, curved the ball exactly how he needed to. The ball stopped within two feet of the of the uh, of the pen, and he he turned and he handed the club uh, with a sense of pride back to the caddy, and he said, "What'd you think about that shot?" He said, "You can speak now." And the the, the caddy said, "That was not your ball, Mister Bolt." <laughs> so, uh, ignorance ignorance can get us in trouble, can't it? Um, uh, not knowing exactly how to handle a given uh, a situation, not being in the know of, of, of something that our children can be involved in, burying our ha- head in the proverbial sand. I'm here to tell you, mom and dad, that there is a generation gap when it comes to technology with many of you and your children. You cannot bury your head in the sand and not know what's going on. You've got to inspect constantly what's going on with your children. Stephen Roberts wrote an article in the magazine U.S. News and World Report. He said this, he said, Americans are so so shaped and stamped by their legacy of individualism that the concepts of community virtue and moral obligation have been discredited in our popular culture. Adulthood is too often defined as doing what you want to do, not what you are supposed to do. Making a baby is a sign of status while caring for one is not. Right and wrong are old-fashioned, politically incorrect concepts and sin... Forget it. The problem doesn't end with ghetto kids getting pregnant and going on welfare. Half of Americans who marry and have children eventually divorce. For many, marriage is more like a hobby than a commitment, a phase instead of a trust. We are becoming a country of deadbeat dads who don't pay their bills and dead tired moms who work two jobs to pick up the slack. Even many parents, notice this phrase here, even many parents who pay for their children don't pay attention to their children. In so doing, they miss out on some of life's greatest joy, hearing a small giggle or holding a small hand. As Surgeon General Jocelyn Elders noted, it is easier for many children to find drugs than it is for uh, for them to find hugs. 
probably the best thing that society can do is for its toddlers, uh, is for, uh, rather, probably the best thing that society can do for its toddlers is to make parent an honorable title again. No job is more important, yet no job is more often taken for granted. We teach work skills, but life, but not life skills. How to change a carburetor, but not a diaper. How to treat a customer, but not a child. Becoming a parent should be the result of love and not just a promiscuous act in a bedroom. A sign of lasting relationship, not a, not just a passing infatuation. A source of pride and not remorse. Only then will children be safe. I have to say a strong amen to what that columnist had to say about parenthood. Are we paying for our children but not paying attention to our children? Um, Let me ask you a question this evening. Parents, does your child have a smartphone? Does your child have a smartphone? If the answer is yes, do you know what your child is doing with that smartphone? Sometime back, I had a mom and a dad come in and they were troubled over their attitude of their teenage son. And they sat in my office and I, and I knew their teenage son, uh, had a relationship with their teenage son because he was uh, part of the youth group there at the church. And, and I knew some of the struggles that young man had, but I also knew he carried an iPhone around in his pocket. And I asked the mom and dad, I said, do you have any kind of restrictions around that phone? Any setup, any, any boundaries around that phone? And they said, well, no. And I said, well, there's your first problem. And so uh, at some point after that conversation, they grounded their child by taking the cell phone away. They handed the cell phone to me and they asked me to go through the phone and see what sin that child had been involved in. What I found is that he had been FaceTiming with a young lady in the school at 2 and 3 o'clock in the morning. Deeper, as I looked deeper and deeper on that phone, what I found is that that young man uh, had been exchanging inappropriate pictures with that girl. For the sake of our audience, I won't go any deeper there, but if you let your mind wander, what you're probably thinking is what they were doing. You say, uh, I sat them back down and I brought them back in my office and I sat them back down and I asked uh, the, the couple, I said, would you allow your son to have cable TV in his bedroom? No, we would never do that. Well, why would you not allow your child to have HBO and Cinemax and Showtime and MTV and, and VH1 or, or whatever the state or whatever the different channels are? Why would you not let your child have that? Well, they, he would he could stay up all night and he could see all kinds of things he ought not see. And I looked at that dad and I said, I, I, I think that you probably just don't understand this, but giving your child an iPhone, letting him go to bed with it, he is capable of doing and doing and seeing much worse than he would ever see on cable TV. Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 26 says this. It says, He that trusteth in his own heart is a fool. Is a fool. You say, Pastor, you're a man of the cloth, as they say. Do you trust yourself? The answer is no. I own an iPhone. I've got it right here. My iPhone is locked down solid. The truth is I could hand you my cell phone and you could try and sin with it by looking at inappropriate things. It would be very difficult to do. Uh, my mom-in-law is the one that installed the code on my phone, and my mom-in-law has forgotten the code. Um, I don't know how to get around them. I don't want to know how to get around them. I use a browser on my phone. 
uh, that blocks and filters things that probably shouldn't be blocked or filtered. I tried to get on Emmanuel Baptist Church's website, where at church I came from, and that got blocked. Okay, And so uh, there's more stuff blocked on here that's possible. We don't have cable TV. We do have one of those uh, TV boxes that you've seen sold in stores. But even that has a, a parental code put in it. You say, Pastor, do you know the code? I do not know the code. Um, I would just say this, is that in your home, moms, you need to take charge. Dads, you need to let mom take charge. And things need to be locked down. Uh, 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 sir, you may find that you, one night you can't sleep. Two, three in the morning and you wander out to the couch and you turn on the TV. And you may find yourself tempted to watch things that you just shouldn't be putting in your eyeballs. You say, well, pastor, I would just say this, that if I cannot trust myself, and if you ought not be trusting yourself, then why do we trust our children? Why do we trust our children? The Bible said there in Deuteronomy chapter 31, uh, where we were reading a few minutes ago, it said there in that verse, go back to it here, it said that, uh, which, which have not known anything, describes them as, which have not known anything. Your children are born as a blank piece of paper, and, and on there, life is going to write on their paper what's going on with them and, and going to help decide what their character is. The problem with that blank piece of paper is that they're born with a sin nature. And so sin naturally wants to write itself on their life. And if you hand them a smartphone, if you hand them a game console that has Internet access and you do not restrict it, you're going to set them up for all kinds of failure. Do your children have Facebook? Are they on Twitter? Are they on Instagram? Are they on all of these other social media sites? If so, do you inspect what's going on? The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 17, it says this, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves for they watch for your souls. Notice this next phrase is they that must give account that they may do it with joy and not with grief for that is unprofitable for you. Children, one day your mom and dad are going to stand in front of God and they're going to give an account for how you turned out. So the challenge to the children is this. Behave yourselves. When your parents come down on you and put rules in place, be thankful for the rules. We'll talk about that more in a minute. But mom and dad, that ought to, uh, that ought to get your attention as well. You're going to stand in front of God one day and you're going to give an account to how your children were raised and you're not going to be able to say, well, there was a generation uh, a gap there and I didn't understand what technology could do. You cannot put your head in the sand and sleep. You cannot do it. You cannot do it. You've got to be able to know what's going on in your children's life. Uh, there are those who say, I want to respect my children's privacy. And I'll just say this, and, and mom and dad, with adult children that live at home, I'm not going to go there. You, you can set those parameters up. But if your children are not adults, let me just say this, your child has no privacy. None. There is no uh, a bedroom drawer that, that you shouldn't have access to. Uh, they ought not lock their door and keep you out. You ought to go in all the time. You ought to make sure they understand that if uh, they live under your roof and you're paying their bills, then they have no privacy. Um, my children are not going to have a smartphone until they're out of the house. And you say, well, what if they need to get, uh, get hold of you? And I'd say they can borrow one of your children's smartphones. Amen? <laughs> No, I may give them a dumbed-down cell phone or a locked-down cell phone. 
but uh, they'll uh, they'll they'll have we'll make sure they're safe. And you say is it that you hate your children? No, rather I love my children because I know at a young age when they're so impressionable. They need to be able to uh, not have that strong temptation to sin. Walk guard around them. Be careful with that. So the first pitfall uh, that I wanted to point out this evening uh, is that of ignorance. Number two, the second pitfall would be indulgence. Indulgence. Take your Bibles with me over to Second Chronicles chapter 22. Second Chronicles chapter 22, we're going to look at verses 2 through 4. I do know that we have a business meeting this evening uh, after the service. For those of you who are going to stick around for that, so we'll uh, move quickly through the rest of the sermon here. But definitely don't want to forget the most important part of why we come to church, and that's for the preaching of the Word of God. Second Chronicles chapter 22, verse 2 says, There forty and two years old was Ahaziah when he began to reign, and he reigned one year in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Athaliah, the, the daughter of Omri. Notice verse 3, a tragic statement here. He also walked in the ways of the house of Ahab, for his mother was his counselor to do wickedly. Wherefore he did evil in the sight of the Lord, like the house of Ahab, for they were his counselors after the death of his father to his destruction. King Ahaziah is described as wickedly following in the steps of his ancestor Ahab. We remember Ahab, don't we? Most of us remember the story of Naboth's vineyard. When you think of Ahab, that's generally the first story that comes to mind. Maybe the, the name Baal comes to mind with Ahab. But Ahab led Israel into the sin of idolatry. In fact, before you get to Ahab, uh, when a king did evil in Israel, you referred back to, I believe it was, is it Jeroboam or Rehoboam? I always get them confused. Rehoboam was king of Israel. Okay, I knew Brother Roman bailed me out there. Uh, Rehoboam was king, and so Rehoboam was always the one who was referenced back to. But after Ahab, there was no reference back to Rehoboam, because Ahab outdid Rehoboam in evil. And so there you have Ahab uh, uh, referenced as having wickedly affected the, the throne and the position of the throne and the, his ancestral line. Deuteronomy chapter 5 and verse 9 says this, it says, Thou shalt not bow down thyself unto them, nor serve them, speaking of idols. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. Notice this, visiting the iniquity of the fathers unto the children, unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. Exodus chapter 20, verse 5, Exodus 34, 7, and Numbers 14 and verse 18 are all verses that say almost the exact same thing. The idea of a, a, a generational sin, a sin being passed down, from generation to generation, and theologians have uh, argued back and forth for years whether or not you can pass a particular part of the sin gene down from one generation to the next. I'm not here tonight to cite on that, but I will say at the very least, at the very least, there is something called learned behavior. Your children watch how you behave. They see the sins that you struggle with, and they will grow up and they will be tempted to struggle with the same shortcomings. Someone once wisely said, what you do in moderation, your children will be strongly tempted to do in excess. What you do in moderation, your children will be tempted to do in excess. You may, and I'll use an example here, you may find that, uh, that you want to justify social drinking. 
Oh, I'm just having a little sip of wine every now and then. It's not a big deal. You know, it's only a few times a year that we sit down over some wine or, or maybe over a beer. And it's not that often we have it in our house. It's only for special occasions, a birthday party here or there. Maybe we have a, a, a beer at a, uh, at, uh, at a holiday event kind of thing. But I, I'm not a drunk and I don't drink myself drunk. And even when I do drink, it's only one beer and I'm a little buzzed, but I'm not drunk. Be careful, mom. Be careful, dad. Because what your children are doing is they're looking at you and they're seeing that behavior. And now you're justifying in their heart that drinking is okay. And so now they get older and now drinking isn't a sin because mom and dad did it. By the way, you've put them in a very precarious spot. Because they've gone to church and they've heard, especially after tonight, they've heard the pastor preach against alcohol. But then they've seen you drink. So is the Bible wrong or are my parents wrong and you confuse your children well which one is it which one is it i have many friends faces and names going through my mind right now where mom and dad lived a lukewarm wife's lifestyle mom and dad flirted with sin and even participated in sin dabbled in it And now some of those of my friends have gone deep, deep, deep into those sins their parents dabbled in. Now, children, let me say this. Teenagers, let me say this. You will stand before God one day and your parents' behavior will not be able to justify how you lived. You will give account to God for your own life. And you will not be able to point at your past and say, I'm a victim of my circumstances. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. You've got to give account to God one day regardless of how your parents lived. But parents, remember tonight we're talking about pitfalls. Don't put those stumbling blocks in front of your children. Listen, if the Bible says it, make the Bible the moral authority in your life. Where the Bible says thou shalt, do it. Where the Bible says thou shalt not, make a habit of not doing it. Make the Elevate the Word of God in your home and say, Bless God, I'm not going to be perfect, but I'm going to try my best to live by that book. I'm going to hold it high in my home. And I'm going to do my best to live by it. And when I don't, I'm going to get down on my knees and I'm going to confess my sin and I'm, to, to, my, to my God and to my family and we're going to move forward. Why? Because your moderation, your sin that you do in moderation gives your children an excuse in their own mind to go out and commit those same sins. And so we see here indulgence. By the way, let me say this, is that in most children's lives, especially those of you here tonight and and, and, in all uh, church-attending family, there are three institutions that we allow to influence the child. That would be the home. That's the most important one. That's where it all starts. And then the school. Okay, I know some of you homeschool your children, praise the Lord. And so that would maybe erase that one. But for those of you that have your children in a school, uh, that would be number two. And the third one would be the church house. My father's a Christian school administrator. has been one for over three decades now. And I can't tell you how many times I've seen a mom or dad uh, go into his office and ream him out. Because their child didn't turn out right. And he'll say something along these lines. I spent thousands and thousands of dollars over the last 13 years to put my child through children, uh, through, through, uh, Christian education and my child's a rebel. It's your fault. And my friends, listen, if you're spending thousands and thousands of dollars to put your child through a Christian school, but you're not living a Christian life at home, then it is not the Christian school's fault. 
Nor is it the pastor's fault, nor is it the youth pastor's fault. Here's the truth about those three institutions. Please listen closely to me on this, okay? Again, we're all born with a desire to sin. And so you find the lowest of those three institutions, and that is the level your child is going to be tempted to fall to. Be tempted to fall to that level. Is it the school? The school you have your child in? Is it a, a, a school where lukewarm Christianity is allowed? Or maybe uh, they're in a, a, a public school where just full-blown sins allowed. Be careful having them in there. And I'm not going to tell you to pull your children out of the public school. I, I wouldn't personally put mine in there. I know we have some public school teachers in here, and they're bright lights in that dark world, and they're doing their best to invest in that in, in those places. But let me just say, be careful about that. Be careful about that. Uh, but if you have your child in a good church and you have them in a good school, but you're not holding the standard at home, be careful with that. Make sure that uh, you, you're showing your child that consistency. And with that said, let's go to number three. Number, so number one, we looked at ignorance. Number two, we looked at the pitfall of indulgence. And number three, the third pitfall that let's look at tonight would be inconsistency. Take your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. Luke 15 in your Bibles there in verse 11. Inconsistency. I want to, to read the story uh, this evening of the prodigal son. I want to make some, uh, some, some points out of this story that usually aren't pulled from uh, this, uh, this parable that Jesus, Jesus shared, uh, but uh, I think will be applicable to the sermon tonight. Let's look at verse 11 of Luke chapter 15. Everybody doing okay tonight? Amen? All right. Hope the sermon's been a help at this point. Let's take this, these truths and apply them. Verse 11 says there, it says, And he said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to the father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son uh, gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. And there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land. And he, and he began to be in want, and he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion, and ran, and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and no more am worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servant, uh, said, said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Consistency at home. Consistency in your home provides security. Provides security. When a child knows what the rules are, he knows where the boundaries are, and he knows that they're enforced consistently, that provides a home, uh, an atmosphere at home the child feels like he can live safely inside of. Um, it is true that rebellion in the heart of a child can cause him to run from your rules. There may be somebody here tonight, you have tried to do everything right to raise your child. You, uh, you followed all of the biblical principles. You tried to make the Bible the standard of truth in your home. And maybe you've had a child run 
uh, from the Lord. Let me just say that while your child might be like this prodigal, what happened to the prodigal? The prodigal saw uh, that after, after sin had brought harsh consequences on him, that son knew that mom and dad would be home, be waiting for him. How could that son be so sure while he's sitting there looking at swine food and desiring to eat it, how could he be so sure that his dad was still living in the same house? How could he be so sure that his dad would have bread for him to eat? How could he be so certain of that? Because as a child, he had watched his dad be consistent. And he knew from one day to the next, dad was the same. Dad was the same. Dad was the same. And so he got up without even second thought and went home. And what did he find? He found that his dad was still there. He found that he could come home. He could come home. You might have a prodigal child. And I don't know if anyone here at all has one of those. But I'll say this. Stay consistent. Continue to show that God's way is best in your life. The truth is righteousness brings order. And iniquity brings disorder. So if you're living a righteous life, then you'll enjoy the order of God's Word. And if they're living an unrighteous life filled with iniquity, eventually sin will wreck and ruin them. And they're going to come running back to the order that they had once enjoyed and lived in. Um, Are you consistent at home? This is just going to be very, very nuts and bolts practical tonight, but the way many parents punish their children is they wait till their children have pushed their buttons and then they are frustrated and upset and in a rage and I told you ten times to stop doing that go to your room and now they come in man they're swinging they're so upset Um, you should never have to raise your voice to correct your children you should be able to look at your child okay Matthew knows this look That look right there, immediately he stops doing what he's doing and he starts behaving. Why? Why? Because I've got him trained to the point where all I have to do is look at him and say, Hey, you're not supposed to be doing that, are you? No, Daddy, I'm not. No, Daddy, I'm not. How do we get there? We punish first time every time. First time every time. Here's the truth, parents. The reason why some of your children don't obey you is because you don't obey yourself. You tell them, you do that one more time and you're going to get it. And then they do it and they don't get it. You haven't obeyed yourself. Why should they obey you if you don't obey you? So you start punishing first time every time and you do it with no emotion. You do it calm, cool, and collected. And then they begin to learn, okay, every time I step out of bounds, the referee blows the whistle. Every time. I think I'm going to live inside the bounds. How frustrated would, uh, would a cow be if he went over and touched the electrical fence and one day the electricity was off, and the next day it was on, and the next day it was off, and the next day it was on? He wouldn't know one day or the next whether or not he could walk through the fence. And some of your children are just as frustrated. Because one day you're consistent, and the next day you're not, and then the next day you are. Let's be consistent. But not only with the punishment, let's be consistent with our lifestyle. Hey, it's a good idea to get up at the same time every morning, to find a routine, 
for yourself, to find a routine for your family. Children, find great safety and security and find good behavior inside of consistent rules and consistent behavior. Ultimately, they find those things, that good behavior, when they find a mom and dad who fear God and love God and are watching out for them. Which of those tonight, maybe, are you struggling with as a parent or a grandparent? Is it inconsistency? Maybe are you indulging in some sin, that dabbling in some sin that you ought not be? You're, you're teaching your children one thing at home and they're hearing another thing at church. Maybe it's ignorance. Let me just say this. Some of you moms and dads tonight need to go home and you need to take your child's smartphone away. You need to put parameters around it. You need to see what they've been doing in that. There, are, there may even be teenagers here tonight. Look, you look the part, you dress the part, you talk the part. But secretly, secretly, you're struggling with some things you just don't know how to get out of. Hey, listen, go to your mom and dad and confess it. Tell them, tell them what you've been doing before they catch you. You'll be better off for it. And let's raise children in a 21st century, 2016, where the world is going haywire. Let's raise children that respect and fear and reverence God. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed this evening.